0: CHAPTER ONE OF DOUGLAS DUANE THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG RECORDING BY ASHLEY JANE DOUGLAS DUANE BY EDGAR Fawcett. CHAPTER ONE PROLOGUE LAMPS HAD BEGUN TO FLICKER IN THE wintry DUSK THEY GLEAMED WITH A FLARING and very earthy mimicry of the first earlier stars which already had orbed clean little discs of silver above the city's numberless roofs it was december and though as yet slight snow had fallen with the dying year an icy breath made the quick gusts cut like blades the broad boulevard of lower second avenue gleamed quiet enough for the hour that brings weary swarms of labouring folk home from shops and factories across the big east districts where so many of their dingy dwellings are huddled together had not yet arrived but the six o'clock whistle soon sent its loud shriek with eerie effect to pierce the stillness of even this drowsy quarter and then, in what seemed a strangely brief interval, the shabby throngs began pushing their way from a few of the near side-streets. Varied indeed were the countless forms and faces for any eye that might care to look on them with more than indifferent heed, but nonetheless a universal sombreness and rustiness enfolded them in one visible fellowship of toil. Some of the men, women, girls or lads wore merry and smiling visages. Others told of worriment and fatigue as plainly by their pallor and spareness as by the halting drag of their gait. The spacious avenue was suddenly alive with their dim swarms. Not a few, perhaps, were going hungry to boards where bread would greet them in no plenty and meat was yet more scarce. Along these same pavements, morning after morning and evening after evening, has passed for years this dreary procession, forever decimated by death, yet forever swollen by fresh living recruits. It is a far more pious parade than if mendicancy and not toil were the meaning of it. For here we may guess what bitter vetoes poverty can lay upon human struggle how large is the doom that bows and even crushes our effort to thrive how few of us in the mighty mill of life may get fat sacks of grist from its cruel and ceaseless wheels here in the early gloom of night always as now move this forlorn soldiery with misfortune and endurance for their captains and with uniforms cut as if by the shears of fate itself into one woeful pattern of want they march with no colour and music we marvel that any laughter should go with them instead as it does go but this breaks mostly from the lips of youth which persist in laughing simply because they are young as for the sighs that other lips give we cannot hear those but both sighs and laughter must serve for the strains of the march, and in the way of light and pomp there is nothing save the grim reverse of either. No windows are opened to see the stall procession file onward. It has become so monotonously commonplace. The masses are seldom picturesque, except when they turn bloodthirsty and fling up barricades. They have never flung up barricades in Second Avenue, or in any part of new york as yet the politicians and the millionaires cry that such mad anarchy would be impossible in a country where all voters are equal at the polls perhaps the real facts of this bruted equality may be questioned but the politicians and the millionaires say not and they ought to know they have studied the entire matter so closely but to-night While the stream of working folk was in full progress, an occurrence took place which indeed caused a picturesque consternation among its journeying pairs and groups. From the doorway of a small basement house not hundreds of yards beyond the transverse route of Clinton Place, an old woman, stout and of decent dress, like a well-to-do servant's, emerged uttering plaintive cries. The woman was evidently in a half-hysteric state, She wrung her hands for a second, and then for another lifted them quite wildly to that niggard stretch of heaven supplied by all cities. Her plump face shone unduly pale in the faint light. She expressed past doubt the dismay wrought by some abrupt calamity. Words were spoken by her in a pell-mell, distraught style, and those of the homeward crowd who paused in front of her thus making on the instant a new crowd of much denser sort heard her repeat several times with comparative clearness a certain chilling disciple this was murder the multitude thickened to a pressing mob in briefer interval than it takes to record that they did so the woman's audience thus rapidly summoned by her own mad demeanour felt swiftly the thrill which made it one incarnate curiosity Whisper in any frequented street a prophecy of disaster, and that latent relish for the horrible, which the best and worst of us might as well own to, since it lies alert in all of us, will leap up avid for facts. Men and women were glued together before that low little stoop in a trice. If the woman had wanted to leave it, she must have used wings now and not feet. The narrow-fronted house behind her gleamed ordinarily high, and with no more lurid suggestion in one or two of its lighted windows than that opaque black which drawn shades give to any gaslit interior. The awe she had roused vanished from her immediate surroundings after a very slight lapse of minutes. A number of male figures were soon on the stoop beside her. The desperation of her language and attitude promptly underwent a change, she seemed to realise the publicity for which her cries and gestures had made her responsible. A tumult of questions assailed her in various tones and accents. What's the matter? What's happened? What's up with you anyhow? What's the matter? Are you crazy? Who's been murdered? Is thieves inside there? Say, old gal, what do you mean? House on fire. What yer you howling about? Borglers. Zis else, eh want us to sist yer, ma'am these appeals came in a torrent the woman had now seen what a riot of excitement her behaviour had evoked her arms had fallen limply and she stared about her with a new sort of fluttered dismay till her eyes lighted on the face of a man who had pushed himself nearer than any of the others it may have been that something in this man's gaze and mien "'struck through her bewilderment with a sense of refuge and aid. "'She caught his hand and drew him toward the open doorway. "'He yielded willingly enough to solicitation, thus frantically shown. "'He let himself cross the threshold into the hall beyond. "'Then the woman dropped his hand and dashed the heavy front door shut. "'The two now stood in the hall, facing each other. "'He who had come there with her was a man of perhaps not more than thirty years.' He had a smooth, shorn face with some strong lines in it. He looked like one who could think with both force and speed in such a crisis as the present. You would have said that he was of the people, or rather that he did not hold himself above them. But his voice and phrasing bespoke education as he now swiftly said, Tell me at once, in the plainest way you can manage, just what the trouble is. The woman sank into the one chair which the hall contained. Her observer thought at first that she was about to swoon, for her eyes closed and her head fell slightly backward against the upper carvings of the chair. But she rallied while he drew closer to her and said in a succession of gasps, which her starting tears rendered still more painful, I rushed out there a few minutes ago. I guess I didn't know what I was doing any more than a baby. There's only me and the cook here besides them but i didn't think about her she's downstairs and i just come from upstairs where they are they who tell me who the young man's voice was tender yet firm he could hardly have used an inflection at once more diplomatically suave and frankly demanding he let one hand rest upon the woman's fleshy and trembling shoulder come now be a little brave about it he went on there's no hurry at least i suppose not there there you say something's gone wrong upstairs well that's the beginning now for another point or two is anybody hurt or is it worse you said-i said it-it was a murder broke in the woman just here with a shuddering fall at the end of her exclamatory little sentence and-and a double murder too my employer mr demotte has killed his wife and then killed himself or "'Or it seems to be that. "'I heard the two pistol shots. "'I was in a room on the story above theirs. "'I see. "'Well, you hurried down and you entered their room. "'You found them both dead. "'The tears had begun to stream from the woman's eyes. "'But perhaps on this account her tremors of agitation were much slighter "'and her speech was more controlled. "'I think he was dead. "'His laying stretched right on the floor. "'His head is all bloody and his eyes are shut.' I guess he must be dead. He got a pistol gripped in one hand. But she... Here the woman gave a great wailful cry and rose from the chair. She isn't dead then, queried her companion. Oh, no. She was breathing when I dashed out of the room. She was on the lounge, all blood spattered like him. But worse, she saw me and knew me. She said, Elizabeth once or twice. That's my name, Elizabeth. Her eyes were kind of rolling. I ran out of the room to get help. I must have been thinking about Susan, the waitress. I wanted somebody near me that was real alive like I was. And then when I got down here into the hall, I i must have remembered that it was Susan's day out and I was to set the dinner table and, and wait on it. Then I suppose I recollected there was only one cook and cook's an old foolish thing so there was nobody to help me i-i lost my wits then and darted out on the stoop by this time lizabeth as she had named herself was at the first step of the staircase in act of ascending it and she's up there not dead came the poor creature's next dolorous cry oh may the lord forgive me that i forgot her as i did that lovely woman She essayed to mount the stairs, but soon paused as if from severe bodily weakness, clinging heavily to the banister. Let me go, said the young man, who had sprung nimbly past her, and then had stopped with his quiet, clean-cut face, turned half backward. I may as well tell you, Elizabeth, that I am a detective by profession. This sort of horrid thing isn't as new to me as I would like it to be. I'll see to the lady, and if there's any hope of saving her, I'll call you don't come up yet wait till i either call you or come down the woman dropped into a sitting posture on the stairs as he finished this hurried bit of tidings and counsel but some new access of faintness caused perhaps by the realization of her mistress's neglected agony had overwhelmed her already strained nerves and whether or no, he had spoken as he did, she probably would have failed just the same to re-seek that lair of horror from which she had but lately fled. Meanwhile the young man sped upstairs. He saw an open door, that of the room which faced on the street, and hurried toward it. Elizabeth's information now frightfully corroborated itself. The apartment was evidently a kind of sitting-room, prettily and modestly appointed and lighted by two jets of gas. At the foot of a large armchair lay the body of a man, his head bathed in blood, and the pistol of which Elizabeth had already told clutched in one hand. The suicide, as it looked, had sought to reach the armchair after dealing himself death and had fallen too soon in ghastly failure. There seemed a sort of flutter about his lips. And yet the newcomer was barely certain if any such token of life still remained. Nor could he verify his doubts just then, for beyond, on the lounge, gleamed another shape, that of a woman. And Elizabeth's remembered words made common compassion seek to aid the living before scrutiny did more than sweep a few glances over him already declared as dead. The young man now sought the lounge and bent over a face which even the hideous spots marring it could scarcely rob of its great inherent beauty. She could not have been more than twenty-three years old at the most. Her hair was a soft dark yellow and her features were of that fine chiselling which pallor only turns more exquisite. The wound given her was in the right temple but her head had fallen sideways concealing all grosser disfigurement. The white lids had dropped mercifully upon her eyes. Her delicate lips met in a line that was not a smile and yet attested no suffering. It seemed to express a material sigh of regret, though not too deploring a one at her own miserably violent end. And he who stood beside her soon felt confident that she would never breathe again. He stood there longer than he knew thrilled by the mystery of a fate so untimely and fascinated by the tragic presentment of its victim's loveliness a hoarse cry suddenly made him start in dismay and wheel eagerly round and then he perceived something which seemed to stop the beating of his heart the corpse on the floor had come to life it had lifted itself on one arm and was staring up at him with a mournful madness in its eyes The young man had never been troubled with feeble nerves, and so in a brief while his alarm vanished. But the presence of mind he now showed was even better than hardy courage. It flashed through his brain that this murderer and would-be suicide had shot himself once without mortal effect, might soon use the pistol near him in a second similar attempt. He therefore hurried toward the pistol with an instant view of securing it but in this achievement he did not at first succeed for the half prostrate creature on the floor appeared to divine his intent and caught up the weapon with a hand that shook like a leaf in wind that he would have sent one more of its bullets at his own skull without further hesitation was highly probable but the young man who had watched him and who now sprang upon him fearless alert and sinewy was quite opposed to any such summary behaviour As a consequence, there now ensued the most ghastly contest between these two, one vigorous and whole, the other wounded and wildly desperate. It seemed almost marvellous that the pistol did not go off while they were fighting for its possession. But it did not, and at last the assassin, breathing hard, surrendered. As he sank once more upon the carpet, his quivering lips just shaped these words in faint yet audible whisper. "'My God!' to live after all. Meanwhile his assailant, having possessed himself of the pistol, had thrust it into one of his pockets. A minute later he gave an exclamation of disgust, for his hands and the linen at his wrists were both dabbled with the red evidence of his recent odious conflict. The man on the floor soon afterward appeared to have fainted again, or had death as we so often find in these hideous episodes visited with unmerited mercy the most flagrant guilt the young man did not pause to inquire discovering that the door was provided with a key it was not long before he had locked the chamber from the outside as he reached the head of the stairs he found elizabeth waiting at their foot in the lower hall you were wrong he said to her when he had descended to where she was now standing with her hands knotted tightly together and an appalled frozen look on her face wrong she faltered yes the lady is dead and he murmured elizabeth well he may be dead too by this time but he gave some sure signs of life when i first went into the room now tell me before i begin to act and i must soon act in good earnest What do you think was the motive for this crime? There was none. None that anybody could dream of. Did those two live happily together? Happily? I never knew a husband to love a wife more. No, nor a wife to love a husband more either. Had any quarrel ever taken place between them? No, they never quarrelled. But I thought, well, keep as calm as you can. You thought what? that they were having excited words together as I passed their room when I went up to mine. This was how long before you heard the first pistol shot? Only a few minutes. Did you hear any words that you can remember while you were passing that room? Yes, I heard a name. It was spoken by Mr. DeMotte himself. It was spoken quite loudly, as, as if in anger and surprise both. It was the name of his dearest friend, A gentleman who has been away in Washington for a good while. Several months, in fact. But lately there came a report that he was missing. No one could make out where he had gone. They wrote to Mr. DeMolt about it from Washington some days ago. He and his wife felt very bad. They talked of going on there together. They thought the world of him. But they hadn't seen him in all that time. And when the bad news came, they took it very hard. They were going abroad soon and they wanted to hear about him on this account before they went. I don't see what he could have to do with this awful thing, a trusted friend like him, that they hadn't even set eyes on for months. What was his name? Duane. Douglas Duane. The young man started. Douglas Duane, he repeated, as if he spoke to himself rather than to the pale, perturbed woman whom he had been questioning. I remember... He disappeared mysteriously from his home in Washington not long ago. The papers have been full of it. He was a chemist, a scientist or something in that line. I recollect the name perfectly. Yes, of course, Douglas Duane. End of chapter one. Recording by Ashley Jane.